the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That portion of God's Word which we consider this morning, the Holy Spirit caused the evangelist Luke to write for our comfort and our learning. And we place a special emphasis on these words. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Let us pray. It is truly meet, right, and salutary that we should at all times and all places give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty God, everlasting, Almighty Father, everlasting God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. For in the mystery of the Word made flesh, you have given us a new revelation of your glory, so that seeing you in the person of your Son, we may know and love those things that are not seen. For Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. It has become fashionable in the recent centuries to deny the existence of hell. It is the place prepared for the devil and his angels. It's not originally prepared for man. It is a place of torment, a place of sorrow and remorse, Jesus describes it as the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and where their worm will not die. In fact, Jesus talks about hell more than any prophet in Scripture. He warns us about it because he loves us. There are many who say that they can't reconcile the notion of hell with the love of God. And it is understandable. God is love who he is. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, and the Holy Spirit proceeds from that love. He is love. He made us in love. He made us to love. And so there is a little bit of truth in our aversion to hell, because hell is the absence of God's love. It is a place without the love of God. And they go there who do not have the love of God. It is a place where people have rejected the true God in favor of false gods. Now we must understand that the gifts of God, earthly gifts such as food and clothing, other things, are to be received with thanksgiving and joy. They are gifts of God. But what we see in the rich man is someone who did not receive this with thanksgiving, but who made mammon, or whatever is beyond daily bread, his God. We learn in the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, yet whatever we fear, love, and trust in the most is our God. It's not that being rich sends you to hell, or that being poor sends you to heaven. Abraham to whose bosom Lazarus goes, was rich, very rich. David, Solomon, Jacob were rich. Jacob said to Pharaoh, short and evil have been the days of my life on this earth. He was very rich. No, Jesus sets forth the rich man and Lazarus to teach us about the inner condition of each person's heart. The rich man fared sumptuously every day. 
He has purple and fine linen purple. It was a royal color, extremely expensive. You had to break a bunch of sea mollusks, mollusks up and, and extract a dye. And it was an extremely profitable business. Lydia was a seller of purple, but it was expensive. Only the very rich had it. And fine linen means the softest cloth that there was available. Most of the poor wore wool. And the word for fared, fared sumptuously is actually he was happy-minded. He was always happy because he had more than enough. He was outwardly a righteous man. The scripture doesn't report him being a drunk or an adulterer or a thief or a murderer. He was outwardly a righteous man. And he had a good life. How many students have I seen come here? And their major concern, their top priority, is to make money. But Jesus warns us and he says how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples question about this and he doubles down and he says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples say then, well, then who then can be saved? And Jesus says, with man, this is not possible. But with God, all things are possible. We are talking about idolatry. And it's real. Those who worship the creation rather than the creator are worshiping the work of their own hands. They're worshiping what God has made, but they're claiming it as their own. They're expecting all of their good from this created thing that's going to perish. Mammon, which is anything beyond daily bread, sometimes translated as money, but it's more than that. Mammon is a cruel God. Mammon requires your devotion, your hard work, your worry, and your fretting. Mammon, mammon can deliver often and give you lots and lots of good things, it seems. I spoke with a woman on the plane last week. I said, money doesn't make you happy. And she looked at me and raised her eyebrow and said, well, yeah, money can give you a lot. She made a quarter million dollars a year and her partner made a million dollars a year. And she thought it really had elevated her life. The problem with people denying hell is that they are denying the love of God. They don't realize what it means to have the true God and not to have the true they have the created and not the created. And so they focus on this life. Asaph writes a psalm about this. I recommend reading Psalm 73 today. He gets envious of the wicked when he sees how happy they are, how they go through life without pangs, and how every day he has to repent, and cleanse his hands, say he's sorry, until he goes into the sanctuary and he hears that the destruction is coming quickly. Because the day you die, you're broke. The day you die, your money is gone. Your name is soon forgotten. There's some stupid song that's been going around. Something like, they say, we must leave, someday we must leave this world behind. So leave a life they will remember. Who? How many of you can name your great-grandparents? The world abideth not, nor like a flash twill vanish, for all its gorgeous pomp, pale death it cannot vanish. 
It's real. God is real. He isn't a figment of our imagination. He is the creator of all things, and he created us to love him and to know his love. The rich man is sent away from God because he did not love him. He did not know the love of God. And there's one thing that is mentioned of him. It's not something that he does. No sin, no act of sin or sin of commission is recorded about the rich man, except that there was a poor beggar named Lazarus who was at his gate, who longed to eat the crumbs, the scraps that fell from his table, and he didn't do anything for it. He didn't do anything. And so he will hear on the day of judgment, I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. He had no love. How can you love God whom you have not seen when your brother is there whom you have seen and you're not loving him? Because he didn't have the love of God, he didn't care about the person who was laid at his gate. So those who love their riches, those who think that this life is where it's at, the only think of, as, as the Bible says, God is in none of his thoughts. They are not, they don't get worried about what God thinks about them. They think that they're righteous. They don't, they, 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 they numb themselves from sin by enjoying the life. They are happy-minded all the time. And those who love these riches, they despise the word of God. You can see it in the rich man's attitude. He doesn't believe that Moses and the prophets are going to convince his brothers. He still doesn't believe in the power of the word of God. That was his entire point. That's his entire problem. But there was a beggar named Lazarus. Lazarus is the short and firm of Eliezer, which means the one helped by God. The one helped by God. That is Lazarus. The rich man doesn't get a name but Lazarus does, that poor beggar does. Lazarus is Abraham. Lazarus is David, who cried out, from the ends of the earth, I will cry to you, O my God, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. But I am poor and needy. Make haste to help me, O God of my salvation. David, a rich man, said, I am poor and needy. Lazarus has nothing. He's a beggar. He has sores. And you see no good works recorded by Lazarus, because it is by grace you have been saved. And yet his suffering is what teaches us. He teaches us what Asaph says in Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none that I desire upon this earth but you. My heart and my flesh fail. God is the strength of my life and my portion forever. People say that the Old Testament doesn't teach the resurrection. Copycat. It is the same attitude of a beggar. Because only beggars go to heaven. Only beggars know the love of God. Only beggars who have seen that this world does not satisfy them. Who realize that they are poor in spirit. That they don't have the love that God requires. But in their lives, they have walked away from God. That they have not loved their neighbors as themselves. And they see it, and it makes them poor. All the earth's wealth can't take away the pain. Can't drink enough to get rid of it. 
They can't get more money to distract them from the fact that they, before God, are poor. And so the world means nothing to them. It doesn't satisfy them. That's what this picture of Lazarus means. I'll, I'll take some scraps. That's not my true joy. And God teaches you this true joy and where to look for him when he gives you suffering. When he lets you suffer for another person. When he shows you that you don't have what it takes to endure it by yourself. When he reveals to you that the biggest problem in your life is not that person that you need to help or this lack of money or your lack of any earthly good. No, the biggest problem in your life is your own spiritual poverty. It is seeing the lack of the love of God in your life, in your heart. That's Lazarus. The last written words of Martin Luther were found in his coat. He wrote it on a piece of paper that said, Wir sind Gattler hoch es wäre. We are beggars. This is true. Only beggars go to heaven. Only beggars. All of the appearance of the world and who is first, many who are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Ignore it. Close your eyes and listen to Moses and the prophets. Listen to the promise of a seed of a woman who crushes the devil's head, who brings misery and sin and death into this world. Listen. Listen to the promise given to Abraham that in him and in his seed, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Listen to the promise that Abraham's descendants would be more numerous than the stars, and Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Listen to the desire of the prophets. How long, O Lord, how long? Let it repent you concerning your servants. Change your mind about me. Listen to the promises that God will send a son his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. That the government will be upon his shoulders. He will bear our sin. He will be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And hidden in that weak mortal frame, that beaten, bloody, pierced, and dying man, is all of heaven, all righteousness, favor of God, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus teaches us the reality of that. Why, what should it, shall it profit a man? I just told this to my kids the other day at Matins. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world but lose his own soul? But what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And this is why Jesus begins his most famous sermon with blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Lazarus had nothing by worldly standards, and yet his was the kingdom of God. He learned it through Moses and the prophets. He learned it through the scriptures which taught him to repent of his sins and to believe on Jesus in life and in death. By all appearances, it seemed he had nothing, and yet he possessed the kingdom of heaven. Look at how things are reversed. Those who seem to have everything, to be happy in this earth, are in hell because they don't have the love of God. Lazarus, who seemed to have nothing in this world, nobody loved him, and yet he had that love which is unending and which endures forever. He knew the love of God in Christ his Savior. 
to Moses and the prophets. And so we look to the word of God. People want miracles. <clears throat> What's going to change this person's life? Often you see somebody straying from the church. A, a pious father or mother will say, man, I, I hope God does something disastrous to the person so that he realizes that this short life of pleasure is not what it's about. That he could possibly, you know, be, be woken up, get into a car accident, or get diagnosed with some disease and say, oh no, my life is not as secure as I thought it was. I've known many Christians who have such pious desires. I'm sure you have that too. They don't actually want the person to be hurt. They just want the person to be convinced. And maybe that'll help humble. But there is one source of knowing God. There is one voice that will actually change a hardened heart that was loving only the things of this world and break it and pour the love of God in it by the Holy Spirit. And that is the Bible. That is Moses and the prophets and the writings of the apostles. If they will not be persuaded by Moses and the prophets, if they will not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one should rise from the dead. That's why we cling to this word. That's why we say it every day. Every day, read your Bible. Every single day. Pray the words of the scriptures. Read the Psalms. Read Psalm 73 today. That is the power of God to show you your real need, your true poverty. It also moves you with faith to know that when you beg God for mercy, he takes away the sin of the world and he takes yours away too. That means he gives you eternal riches. He gives you that love that he is eternal. In Bible class today, I encourage you all to go to Bible class. We had a question at the end, and I was talking about how all creation declares the glory of God, and yet it is all joined in Christ. Everything has to do with Jesus. In him, all things consist. Everything. We don't see it right now. We see the devil ruling. We see corruption and murder and perversity and ruin and death. We see Lazarus full of sores and the dogs licking his sores. We see suffering. We feel it. So did God make flesh for us. He knew the sin of the world. He took our poverty into himself and overcame it with his divine love for the Father and for us and all sinners. It's how you come to know God. And when you know that love in your heart, you suffer for others. You love. He teaches you. We do it weakly. We do it with very little strength because he alone is our strength. But we do it knowing that he is with us. That he is gentle and lowly in heart. And that even in the midst of every burden that we're bearing, when he shows us that wealth, that love, that removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west, and reveals God's favor towards us in eternal life, then his yoke is easy, his burden is light, and we find rest for ourselves. Perhaps there is no sin that is more prevalent in America today than greed. And many people say in defending capitalism, greed is good. I don't know what logic they used to use to, to say that. Greed is bad. And greed is a desire for what perishes. 
Whom do you have in heaven but Jesus? Is there anybody on this earth that you desire more than Jesus? If you think there is, or you have seen it in your life, then you need to realize what John, what Jesus said to the church in Laodicea, you said you were rich and you have need of nothing, but did not realize that you were poor, naked, blind. But if you acknowledge it, and you see in yourself that poverty of spirit, you don't trust in your works, you desire God. And that is the heart where God makes his residence. That is the heart that he comes to. You come to know in your repentance God truly is love. That he is totally just to condemn you from his presence for eternity because you chose it, and yet he draws near to you. And he makes friends out of you, his enemies, and he removes every reason for you that you thought you had not to trust him by washing your sins away, covering your guilt, clothing your shame, lifting up your head so that you see with Stephen Jesus waiting for you, preparing mansions richer than anything this earth has. Because God is your help. And Lazarus was taken away from this world, and he was brought to Abraham's bosom. Now, Abraham's bosom means he's resting in Abraham. Well, what does that mean? It's not like we can all fit in Abraham's bosom. Now, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Believe God. Believe what he tells you when he tells you that your sins are forgiven. Don't let them drag you down so that you despair of God. Then your name is no longer Lazarus. But if you know, and God cannot lie, that your sins are forgiven, that you are righteous before God by the blood of Jesus, that he has replaced your sin with his obedience, and that everything he has is yours, if you know that, then even now, you have peace with God. We long sometimes for heaven, that place of absolute peace with the, with the crystal sea where everything is calm and beautiful and there is no trouble and no pain and sorrow and sighing and fleet away. There's no remorse like you see in that man in hell, that rich man. We long for that and we say, when will I have this? How long, O oh Lord? When will I have this? Some Christians are even tempted to say, and I've seen this in shut-ins, I, I just want God to take me. I don't want to be here anymore. Where is that peace? Where is that joy? I'll tell you where it is. It is in Moses and the prophets. It is in the word of God that invites you here today to pour out your poverty here at this table and in place of your sin, receive the righteousness that conquers hell, that raises the dead, that assures your conscience that you are spotless before the living God. You have peace. Peace with God. You have a foretaste of heaven. And that is what this place is this morning. It's heaven on earth. Where else could I find my Jesus so clearly given to me than in the body that bore my sin and now lives and reigns through all eternity with the Father and the Holy Spirit? Where else could I have this one than whom I prefer no one? Whom if I did not have, I would have nothing. Where else do I experience him? since we're all existentialists these days, where do I have the opportunity to cherish him more than when he pours his blood down my throat and cleanses me from all my sins? 
and shows me that I am his child. So that when I die, I will leave it with confidence. And I will wake up with all believers. And I will know Abraham, my father in faith. I will know all the prophets and the patriarchs and the matriarchs, the apostles, all my dear loved ones who departed. I will not even think of hell because there will be nothing but love. I will know heaven and I will never get bored. I will have peace that lasts forever. And I will rejoice not in the hope of the glory of God as I do now, but in being glorified as Jesus is. Let us pray.